Ecclesiastes. I assume that you have read through the book of Ecclesiastes before. And sometimes it can be rather depressing reading through this book because the word meaninglessness keep appearing throughout the book. And today, we, I've titled the search, the, this topic called The Meaning of Life, The Search for Meaning. The Search for Meaning. Ecclesiastes is about Solomon's reflection and search for what is really the meaning of life. And I suppose all of us at some point in our life, we will ask ourselves this question. For some younger, for some of us at an older age, we've been, been there, done that, we've achieved a lot in life. And we start to wonder, what actually is the meaning of life? And so this, this guy went and asked, what's the meaning of life? And uh, say, well, have you tried Googling? In fact, I have tried Googling, to be honest with you. Uh, while preparing for this sermon, I Googled a lot on finding out what do people think about the meaning of life. And I heard numerous uh, talks as well, on a TED Talk, um, Christopher, the late Christopher Hatchett, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, listened to their views on what is the meaning of life. And Harold Krishna is a, is a Jewish uh, rabbi. He said, our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Those rewards create almost as many problems as they solve. Our souls are hungry for meaning. For the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter. So that the world will be at least a little bit different for our having passed through it. And in my search and reading... Let me just give to you a few of what people generally say about the meaning of life. Some are well-known people, some are just a normal taxi driver from New York. This person says this, he said, we are here to die, just live and die. I live driving a cab. I do some fishing, I take my girl out, I pay taxes, do a little reading, and then get ready to drop dead. Nobody gives a damn. You're either rich or you're poor. You're here, you're gone. You're like the... In nothing no more. People have no pride. People have no fear. People aren't scared. People only care about one thing and that's money. We're going to destroy ourselves. Nothing we can do about it. The only cure for world's illness is nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start all over again. We've become like a cornered animal fighting for survival. Life is nothing. Rather depressing, isn't it, Tim? You sitting in his taxi telling you that. William Shakespeare uh, wrote in the book Lady, uh, The Story of Macbeth. Uh, this is what his. Uh, this is what uh, Macbeth said when, uh, after his wife died and the army was closing in. He said, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time 
and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, breathe candle. And then she, she said, lies but a walking shadow, a poor player that shrugs and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is the tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And Mark Twain shortly said this just before he died. It's a bit small there. He said, a myriad of men are born. They labor and they sweat and they struggle. They squabble and they scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them. And then the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. I mean, in that last sentence, in some sense, it's quite true in a sense, isn't it? How many of you know your great-grandfather? And if I don't know my great-grandfather, I assume that my great-grandchildren won't remember me. I think it's a fair assumption. And then I read a little bit more serious guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. If you've never read of his book called Man's Search for Meaning, grab hold of it. It's a serious reflection because he was in concentration camp and he, he was an Austrian neurologist and he developed this... Uh, therapy called Logos therapy, as opposed to Sigmund Freud and all that, the generation before him. And he was serious because he see people facing death constantly. And he came up with this Logos therapy. And he says this, he said at the end of it, this is what he said. He said, ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is. You see, that is the wrong question to ask. But rather, he must recognize that it is he who is asked. Meaning to say, instead of asking what is the meaning of life, let life ask you the question, what is expected of you in this life? And then his conclusion, that he developed this therapy, his conclusion is, each man is questioned by life. And he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. So he said the meaning of life then, if you want to, he said, ask life to ask you the question instead of you asking life. What is the meaning of life? And the answer is be responsible. When you find something responsible for, you find the meaning of life in a sense. And I suspect, I don't know, I suspect, maybe Jeff can confirm that. Uh, I suspect that the Canadian uh, Jordan Peterson may be of this view uh, that is about being responsible, maybe. Uh, um, um, I don't know him well enough and listen to him long enough yet, but he seems to articulate that. And, and, and Victor Frankl developed that therapy, he said, be responsible. When you're responsible for something, you will begin to find some meaning into your life, in a sense. 
Another guy by the name of Albert, Albert Camus, a uh, French philosopher, he was the second youngest to receive the Nobel Prize for Literature at the age of 44. Second youngest. Of course, the youngest is uh, uh, Kipling. Right, Kipling. And unfortunately, Albert Camus died at the age of 47 from, from car accident. And he developed this philosophy called the philosophy of absurdism. Absurd, which is the movement whose central hypothesis is that human beings exist in a purposeless, chaotic, chaotic universe. And therefore, he said, well, what's the meaning of life? You detach yourself from pursuing meaning. Accept that life has no meaning. Accept that life has no purpose. Accept it. Until you accept it, then something else may come good of it. And this is what he said. He said, you will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. And he said, in a hopeless world, that's, that's void of meaning. We alone have the power to give it meaning. Accept reality as it is and make the intentional choice to make the most of it. So it's in order to find meaning of life, you accept the fact that there's no meaning in life. Accept it. Unless you confront and accept it, otherwise you'll be forever be searching in a sense. And I see in many ways uh, the fruits of Albert Camus paralleling the primary concepts of long-ago philosopher called Laozi, Chinese philosopher, way back in 571 BC. He wrote a book called Tao Te Ching that a lot of Chinese philosophers are into. Very similar uh, view. They simply say life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. Life has no meaning. Just accept it and then let it flow and then spontaneously, and then just respond to it as it goes. And one final one. If you never watched the uh, American comedy or British American comedy film, Monty Pythons, yes? <laughs> 1983. The film is The Meaning of Life, in which Monty, like Solomon, searches for life's meaning. And then the film concludes by saying, I don't know what I have a slide. Yes. So, well, it's nothing very special. Try and be nice to people. Avoid eating fat. Read a good book every now and then. Get some walking in and try and live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. So I try to present to you various group of people reflection on what life really means. Of course, the material is so much. Some serious ones, and I, I thought uh, Camus and, and Franco is probably a little bit more appealing uh, when I read about their, their work. But today, I want to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. 
I want to look at what Solomon says, King Solomon's reflection on the meaning of life. Unlike the other three wisdom books that we have gone through, the next two, Ecclesiastes and Songs of Songs, both are written by King Solomon. He is mentioned about 300 times in the Old Testament, and he was mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. He is mentioned many, I mean, 12 times in the New Testament. The, probably the one that we can remember is in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Can any of you, by worrying, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of this. King Solomon, in some sense, I believe he was quite a qualified person to write about the subject of happiness and where it is and is not to be found. He was the son of King David by Bathsheba. He was charged to build the magnificent temple of God. David wasn't allowed to build that because too much blood on his hand and the task was given to his son, uh, Solomon. He had fame among the nations. You read 1 Kings chapter 4. He had, he had fame among the kings. He possessed expertise in many, many fields. He, can, uh, he spoke about plant life. From the saddle of Lebanon to the high soup that grows out of war, he spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. And so he has great wisdom. He possessed great expertise in many fields. He wrote Proverbs, some, some parts of Proverbs 73 maybe. Uh, Ecclesiastes, or Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. He was the richest and the wisest king. He had great military strength. So when you consider the life of Solomon, we realize that no man has ever been more qualified in some sense to write about the subject of happiness. Because we can identify these are the most common things people live and pursue. And he begins, let me just set the context and now I'm going to give you five points. Four is what he pursued that he didn't find. And the last one, of course, will be something that he said, yeah, this is really the meaning of life. He begins by saying, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, where they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ears its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. 
There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So that's how he begins his reflection. And he, he, lived, he died about 60 years old, very young. He became king probably at the age of 20, or between 18 to 20, and he ruled for 40 years. And then he died at the age of 60 years old. So this is a reflection almost at the tail end of his life. He has been there, done that, seen that, and therefore he looked back and said, what really is the meaning of life? And so he is going to give us, he said he tried everything. He tried everything. The first thing I want to give to you as what he said is meaningful life is not found in philosophy. What I think. Because he's the wisest man, he reads, he studied, he accumulated lots of knowledge, he searched of human wisdom under the sun. He looked at knowledge or wisdom that does not include God and found it to be vexation of spirit. He also found it to cause grief. And this is what he said in chapter 2. He said, I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. So wise is better in that sense. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish, they share the same fate at the end of the day. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? Not to mention that you might become demented. This is all meaningless, he said. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So he said, well, I tried that. And at the tail end of my life, I look back. You know, I'm going to be suffering the same fate as the fool. So by accumulating knowledge, it's not going to bring me meaningful life. And not to mention that... Uh, Someone said that education is actually the process of revealing your ignorance. The reality is the more you know, the more you don't know. Uh, you enter one door, and then when you enter that door, you realize there's a 100 doors in there. And then you, when you enter one of the 100 doors, another 100 doors open up for you. And therefore, we kind of sub, 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 specialized area until very, very, even sub, sub, specialized, you see, you've got to sub, sub, uh, because knowledge is too vast in the sense. And here he comes to the point whereby his despair say, Wow, well, meaningful life is actually not found in philosophy, in what I think. And then as he lived his 60 years of life, he also say, he also tried many things. He said, Meaningful life is actually not found in pleasure. What I enjoy. Please, if you have a bathtub, if you want to do that, please do that, all right? I'm not saying you can't do that. Um, although I've never done that before in my life, even though I have a bathtub. <laughs> uh, fine, just... So meaningful life is not found in pleasure. God has given us 
all things to enjoy. I want to distinguish that good thing and ultimate thing. And I'll come to that at the end of the day. Everything is good thing, <clears throat> but it should not be treated as the ultimate thing. What Solomon is expounding, that it is the ultimate thing. When you think pleasure is the ultimate thing, then you will be in trouble. <clears throat> but it's a good thing. It is not the ultimate thing. It becomes a problem when we place it and become an ultimate thing. And here, Solomon had pleasure. He tried all kinds of pleasure. He tried to find the meaning of life in the pleasures of this world. And then at the end of it all, he found that it was vanity, meaningless. He said pleasure is vanity. He had palaces, houses, vineyards, orchards, 700 wives, 300 concubines. If he spent time with one, it would be one in three years. He has 550 officers. He got money. He got incredible. You read 1 Kings chapter 4. It spells out that. And this is what he said. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I mean, if you are in such a position where you can, you have power and you have money, you can have all things. You can have all things in that sense. He said, I denied myself nothing actually my eyes desired. Whatever I said, my eyes that I wanted, I get it. We can't do that. We don't have the power. We don't have the money. But for Solomon, he has done it before he said this. And then he said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing foley. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the Danish philosopher, he said, if I had a servant in my in my employ, who when I, when I asked for a cup of cold water, brought instead the world's costliest wine, I would dismiss him. For true pleasure consists not in getting my wine, but in getting my way. Power, pleasure, he tried it all. And he said, well, I tried it, and it's meaningless. Pleasure-seeking usually becomes selfish and it ends up destroying true joy. People who exploit others usually end up alone. Pleasure alone can never bring true satisfaction. Chuck Swindoll reflected on this passage and this is what he said. He said, sensual pleasures hold out promises that lack staying power. Sensual pleasures offer to open our eyes, but in reality, they blind us. Sensual pleasures disillusion us, making us cover up others. Tried pleasure, didn't find the meaning of life. And then he moves on. 
He moves on to projects, what I do. Meaningful life is not found in projects. His conclusion is, what I do. I mean, so many of us men find identity in what we do. I've said it a number of times. And when we're no longer able to do what we used to do, we kind of lost our identity. We almost feel useless. And the only person that still look up to us is our grandchildren when they're little. Because they still think that we are Superman. No wonder grandparents spend so much time with grandchildren. Because they still look up to them. You still feel that you're wanted. You still feel that you're needed. You feel that you have some kind of identity in the sense. You're, you're still able to do what you can do. And Solomon tried that. He said this. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Yet when I survey all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then he said, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. Oh, how meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their, labors, their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Well, it's rather depressing, isn't it? Everything's meaningless. You know, he, he put his hand into it and then his conclusion is meaningless. But of course, he found some pleasure while in it to see something happening as a sense of achievement, feel good, that your effort is going somewhere. And yet when at the end of the day, you ask yourself, when you when come to the end of the day, when I die, what is going to happen? And he start to question the end, the ultimate end, not just there, ultimate end, what is going to happen after, after I build all this up and then what happened after when I'm gone? The wealth that I accumulated, I passed on, they might swindle everything, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my wealth and all that. And all this fear in the mind before they die with all this wealth that they have, what are they going to do with it? And then they constantly change their will. Constantly change their will depending on how people treat him or her. And they constantly change their will because they live in fear. And all this, Solomon said, well, at the end, I've done all that, been there, done that, I look back, I feel that it's all meaningless. Number four, he also tried possession. Meaningful life is not found in possessions, what I have. 
He did not find true satisfaction and the meaning of true life in what he owned because he was extremely rich. He says this, he said, I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I survey all that my hands had done and what I had toil to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Again, his evaluation of all that he has possessed, all the wealth that he has accumulated over the years, he said, actually, all are nothing. Or as a famous t-shirt once said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Someone wrote a poem, say what money can buy. Money will buy you a bed, but not sleep. Money will buy you books, but not brains. Money will buy you food, but not appetite. Money will buy you finery, but not beauty. Money will buy you a house, but not a home. Money will buy you medicine, but not health. Money will buy you luxuries, but not culture. Money will buy you amusement, but not happiness. Money will buy you a crucifix, but not a savior. Money will buy you a church pill, but not heaven. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer said, Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time, they are the very source of anxiety. In the late 1800s, there was an American tourist visiting Poland. He was welcomed at the home of a learned rabbi. And when he stepped into the rabbi's house, humble home, he was surprised to find the rabbi's home was a simple room filled with books, plus a table and a bench. And so he asked the rabbi, he said, Rabbi, how come your house has no furniture? And the rabbi asked him, where is yours? And he said, well, I'm, I'm a visitor here. And the rabbi said, so am I. 
Meaningful life is not found in possessions. And therefore, Solomon concluded by saying that meaningful life is found in a person. Who I know is in a person. And all of us can in some way relate, even though a person that do not don't believe in God and all that. You can relate. The greatest moments are relationship. The joy of spending time with people. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, and that is the loving, ongoing relationship. And he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. Desperately lonely. We, we instinctively know that relationship matters in a sense. Human relationship. C.S. Lewis says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And he went on to say, it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. And therefore, King Solomon, after he lived his 60 years, after ruling as king for 40 years with power and uh, wisdom, and knowledge, building projects, money, pleasures. His conclusion is this in chapter 12. He said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Relationship with God. Finding God in your life. I find this very touching in some way. Say, Mom, what is the meaning of life? She said, You are. But she actually didn't answer his question, isn't it? That is your meaning of life. But what about his meaning of life? If you, if your meaning is if her meaning of life is this little boy, and if he dies, what do you think happened? If suddenly they went to the beach, maybe he got drowned. What do you think happened to her? Her meaning of life just vanished. Just vanished. Because this, this, is what he, she lives for. 
this is her idol. St. Augustine, one of history's most influential theologians and philosophers, he explored in detail about the word sin. And he defines sin very interestingly. He said, sin is disordered love. Disordered love. He believed that our problem isn't necessarily that we love the wrong things, is that we often love the right things in the wrong order. So disordered love always leads to misery and breakdown. And the only way to reorder our loves is to love God supremely. Then you will place the order correctly. Then, if your meaning of life is gone, if you think your meaning of life is gone, the real meaning of life is not gone. But it is gone because this is your meaning of life. Disordered love. It is not, our problem is not that we love the wrong things, is that we often love the right things in the wrong order. And Jesus says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The true meaning of life begins with the correct order of love. And that is believe in Jesus, surrender your life to him, love him supremely, then pleasure, philosophy, projects, everything else will fall into its right place. That you will not swing to the other extreme, you know, that you reject all this. That is not Christianity. It is put in the right place when God is the center of the life. Reorder that. And when you do that, the rest of the thing may fall away. Your loved one may die. You won't die because your order is right. You won't lose the meaning of life here. You won't because your order is right. God supremely give us life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we truly surrender our life to Jesus, we begin to discover what true life is all about. The late Ravi Zacharias, whether you like him, you dislike him, whatever, I'm just going to quote him. He said once that the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has let you down. That is the loneliest moment of your life. That you think it would deliver the ultimate and then it lets you down. But Jesus won't let you down. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that throughout history, men search for meaning. And they search for all kinds of ways, all kinds of places. 
but we have not returned back to the original plan. You created us for yourself, as St. Augustine said. And unless we found you, unless we have relationship with you, we will forever be restless. We will be forever pursuing other things, thinking that it will fill the vacuum in our hearts. Thank you that you say to those who believe you, to those who receive you, you give the right to become children of God. Thank you, Lord. Our meaning is in Jesus. Jesus is the meaning of our lives. We live for you. When we live for you, when you are in the right order, when we love you supremely, all the rest of the things will be in the right order. But supremely, we put you first and live for you. And life becomes meaningful when we have an ultimate goal of pleasing you, living for you, praising you, glorifying you, and life beyond this earth on earth. We thank you, Lord. I pray for each one here this morning, for those who have not given their hearts to Jesus, that today they'll bow their heads and they'll surrender their life. To those who have come to church for many, many years, but have never, never really surrender and call Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, today may be the day that when we come and bow before the foot of the cross and say, Lord Jesus, come to me. And then we will be like Paul in Philippians 3, able to say with confidence that he lives for you. That what is all that we have here on earth is nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you and live lives meaningfully, purposefully, with a direction of pleasing you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.